0: On this episode of This Week in Linux, we got a lot of big releases from XFCE, FFmpeg, and LibreOffice. NVIDIA announced something we never expected them to. They've actually started releasing documentation related to their hardware. There were some reports for a zero-day exploit concerning KDE, so we'll take a look at that. In distro news, Voyager Linux released a new version, and we got some interesting news from Ubuntu regarding their usage of ZFS. In the sad news area of the show, The Linux Journal announced they will be shutting their doors again. Later in the show, we'll check out the new operating system from Huawei. AMD firmware updates are rolling out for Linux support. And we'll take a look at an app to display your Android phone on your desktop. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, integrated firewalls, multiple storage options, load balancers, and more. You can get all this, plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for one month for free with a $50 credit by going to do.co tux. That's do.co slash 2 Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean for that with $50 credit by going to do.co tux. Thanks again for DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. So, up first in the show is some really great news, and that is XFCE 4.14 has been released. So XFCE is one of those DE's that's known for being very stable, very reliable, and having a lot of flexibility, as well as being very modular. One of the other things it's known for is taking a while to update things. Uh, Well, not necessarily update, because they do security updates and that kind of thing, but updates in the sense of like new features and the aspect of big releases. So this has actually been, I think, the three years since the last release of 4.12, So if you're not aware 4.12 is the last stable release 4.13 they do it in the structure of even numbers are release numbers and odd numbers are development numbers so as soon as 4.15 starts development it will be that will be the development of that branch but when that one's ready it'll be switched to 4.16 because they do an even odd structure Um, that's a common uh, version scheme as well Uh, but that's how they do it anyway so there's three, three years has been since 4.12, and 4.14 adds a lot of great things. Now, there's too many things to really talk about everything in this episode, so I'm going to cover the most important things as well as a few interesting things. So the biggest thing in this release has to be the GDK3 support. So they've been talking about supporting for GTK3 for a while. They've been developing it for a very long time. And that was the main goal for 4.14 to release with GTK3 support. Now, I couldn't verify if everything has been ported to GTK3, but pretty much everything I could find had been ported to GTK3. There might be some things here and there I missed, but it seems like everything is GTK3 compatible, which is fantastic because that means also it gets better high DPI support. And they've also improved other things like the improvement of management and color profiles. Uh, this is not necessarily related to GTK three anymore, but uh, they've improved the startup sessions. They've improved the display profile functionality. Uh, they've actually made it uh, improved it to ensure a more fr- uh, flicker free experience. And they, when you're like when you're changing display setups really f- frequently. They've also improved like the usability, so they've added a right-click drag and drop functionality, additional zoom accelerators, keyboard shortcuts for switching tabs, and many more things. They've also improved the Thunar file manager a couple ways. And for example, uh, the, probably the biggest thing is the external drive mount improvements. They've also improved uh, some fixes for the placement of new windows when you're like when you open a new a new application or a new window. It will now default to the current display because it used to do it where it would like default in some cases default to the primary display instead of the current display that you're on so this is using like whatever the whatever your display your mouse is your mouse cursor is on that is where it will open those windows which is nice because it makes it a lot more convenient of course there's a lot more uh you know there's a lot more things that have been added in this release and it's hard to really you know narrow down all the great stuff that's been added i'll have a link to the show, and the show notes and in the, in the show notes have a link to the release notes because there's quite a few things in there and uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Also, Destination Linux episode 135 is going to have an interview with the developers from XFCE. It's either going to be Simon Steinboss or Sean Davis. We haven't actually narrowed that down yet, which one is going to do it, uh, but we look forward to doing that. So if you're not aware, I'm actually a host of Destination Linux as well as this podcast. So definitely check that out at DestinationLinux.org. The next episode is 134. That will not include the interview. The one after that, 135, that will include the interview. So uh, there's going to be a lot of great information we're going to get from that one. So be, be sure to check that out and subscribe to that podcast as well, if you're not already subscribed, of course. So uh, yeah, if you want to find out more before that happens, Uh, Check out the show notes, and there will be a link to the release notes for XFCE 4.14. Up next in the show is the latest release of FFmpeg 4.2, which is codenamed Ada. Now, this is a first release in about a year or so. Actually, a little bit less than a year. I think it was November of last year. Uh, But there's a lot of great stuff in this release. If you're not aware, FFmpeg is one of those projects that are is fundamental to open source in many ways. So FFMPEG is a decoder and an encoder for audio, video, just multimedia in general. You can do so much with FFMPEG. It's kind of ridiculous and at the same time how awesome it is. But it's also kind of ridiculous in the sense that a lot of people don't know that FFMPEG exists or what it's for and that kind of thing. Because it's one of those huge projects that doesn't really get a lot of attention because if you use a video editing or you use audio editing or whatever almost it's almost guaranteed I wouldn't say completely but 9 out of 10 times the application you're using is going to use FFmpeg in the back end to do all the rendering and all that stuff for you and it's also not even just a Linux based system it's also the project is also available on Mac OS uh, it's also on Windows. It's on BSD. I think it's on Solaris too. I'm not sure about that one, but it's basically available for everything, and it's fantastic. Now the latest release adds a lot of cool stuff, and I don't want to like you know go into super detail on everything because there's a lot, uh, but I do want to talk about a couple things. Uh, so first of all, let's talk about the filters for TPad have been have been made. Uh, they've actually added some releases for uh, for improvements to Chroma Shift. Uh, True HD Core, uh, Mask Fun. They've added uh, color hold, ASL, and AV1 frame split bitstream. Now I'm going to get I'm going to get in more detail in AV1 in a minute. But they've also done some more improvements and added some more decoders, which is uh, HYMT, ARBC, the I- VP4 video encoder, the LSCR encoder, as well as the AV1 encoder. Now. The AV1, I said I was going to talk about, and it's because this is a very, very interesting uh, format. This is a this is a format that is coming, that is going to be, hopefully. I mean, it's pretty much in the position already, but it's very likely to be replacing MP4 and MP5. So if you haven't, if you never know, if you've never done video editing or video production and whatever, you might not know, but MP4 is a format that's been around for a very long time, and it's basically ubiquitous. So MP4 is everywhere. Most people upload their YouTube videos for MP4. With MP4, they'll put MP4 on various different websites here and there, and a lot of the times, if you try to upload something, they will suggest that you use MP4. Now the reason why that is is because it became a standard quite a while back but it is the reason why it's a problem is because it's a proprietary standard and mp5 that will be replacing mp4 is also a proprietary standard now AV1 is not proprietary it's a completely open-source format and it is trying to become position itself as the standard now the reason why I'm excited about this is because it likely will be because of the people backing it as well as the performance that it offers so it's going to be less file size than MP5 and it's going to be a better performance than MP5 as well as having better quality uh, visuals so like a better bitrate and everything so I'm super excited about it so AV1 is the AO AO Media Video 1 format and encoding And it's going, it's being actually backed by all kinds of things like Netflix, Amazon Prime's using it, their uh, YouTube's using it, all kinds of different companies are backing it, which means it has a very, very high likelihood of it supporting or becoming the standard. Uh, So this is awesome that FFmpeg is supporting it because FFmpeg is, uh, you know, a very important project for the Linux ecosystem as well as just in general uh so it's really great that they're doing that they also they're doing support through something i like to just it's just fun to say for me they have a library called uh dav1d or as i like to say david because i think that's fun it probably isn't supposed to be that but i think it's fun so i do it anyway so library lib david anyway so av one Super excited about the support for this because it means we can do a lot of stuff with this uh, particular encoding feature, and it makes it a lot easier to support AV1 going forward for things like Kdenlive Live and um, all the other editors like Shotcut and OpenShot and etc. So I'm super excited about that, and I can't wait to try it out. Uh, so anyway, if you haven't heard about FFmpeg, it's really great, really awesome. Definitely need to you know look into it as well as maybe support it in the donation sense or whatever, because it is fundamentally an important piece of the ecosystem, uh, and it doesn't really get that much of attention. That's why I wanted to put it on the show, and because I like it and I use it all the time. I use it every episode I make this show. I use it for the encoding because it's the best for this, for, for encoding in Linux. So yeah, if you'd like to learn more about FFmpeg, I'll have a link to the release notes for 4.2 in the show notes. So going from some really great news with FFMPEG to some unfortunate news with the Linux Journal. So the Linux Journal actually has announced that they're shutting down again. And this is unfortunate because, well, I'm a fan of the Linux Journal, so I'm, I'm sad to see it go. They've actually done a lot of great work recently as well. If you're not aware, they actually started doing uh, some really great things in their issues with the deep dives. It was really cool. They would take an issue, they would take a topic each issue and go really deep into it with like very, very deep investigative journalism type approach. So that was really cool. They also started doing some podcasting, which was great to see. They've actually, they haven't been doing the podcast thing that long. So it's weird that it's, you know, they didn't have, they didn't seem like they had that much time to build up their new uh, platform and new system before it was killed. Uh, and, the, and the thing that the thing that actually annoys me the most about this particular topic is how sudden it was. Like the August issue of Linux journal was uh, was released a couple days before this announcement. The same thing with the podcast uh, their podcast for the Linux journal they issued a new they new episode and then then it's dead and then they announce it's dead. So it seems like, the company who owned the Linux Journal came in and just killed it without any warning. Now, I'm not saying that that's true because I don't know for a fact. I have not had that confirmed by an employee of Linux Journal. But it does appear as that's, the, that's what happened because all of a sudden they were making content and then they weren't. So, I don't know. And it's, and it's it's a shame because a lot of the stuff they've been doing has been really good and they've actually been like tw- tweaking a lot of things like they added a new a new website they added a patreon system they they did a, like a lot of cool stuff with the podcasting and the deep dives and stuff like that so it's it's kind of a shame because it doesn't seem like they had enough time i mean they've made some missteps and hired some people that weren't that good at writing of course but like you know mistakes here and there happen of course but at the same time they also hired a lot of great writers like the guy who wrote the article both times for the closing of the of the the um, magazine this particular article that about the announcement is actually kind of funny now it's a it's it's sad news sure but the article was written pretty well and it was pretty funny because his he he gave an analogy of you know how If you're going to a meeting or you're hanging out with your friends and whatever and you you decide to both leave and you say your goodbyes and then you start walking away but you're walking in the same direction and it's super awkward that's kind of like what this is and i thought that was a fantastic uh, analogy for this situation because they already said goodbye and now they're gonna have to do it again and it's a little bit more awkward from this time and uh, anyway, I just think that was that was pretty funny. But uh, if you're not aware, the company Linux Journal was purchased by Private Internet Access, the VPN company. And for the majority of the time, I've promoted P- uh, Private Internet Access because they've been doing quite a few things. This particular thing annoys me uh, because it was so sudden, and because it seemed it came it seemed to be like out of the blue. Uh, it's weird because I also don't think they had enough time because the whole. The whole reason Linux Journal was closing the first time, which was way back in uh, December of 2017, which is not way back actually, technically way back in the terms of this podcast, because it was actually episode 16 that I covered that, and uh, we're on episode 78 now, so way back in terms of this podcast, but not. it's only been like a year and a half, a little bit over that, and it's. I don't think that's enough time for you to completely restructure a company that is based on a medium that is essentially dead like magazines because Linux Journal has been around for a very long time since 1994 so that's ridiculous in terms of you know consistency of a company especially with a magazine because magazines is a dying medium if not already dead now some people would argue it's already dead some people are saying it's there's still some magazines around so it's technically not dead but whatever it's basically dead so they have to restructure everything in how they do stuff and i do think that linux journal does a, did a good job and i'm just you know i'm just i'm just sad i'm just disappointed that they're that, that disappointed that they did this uh you know in a random sudden killing of it and uh it kind of makes me feel a little bit annoyed by primary access because they came around they came out the first time saying that they're rescuing and they're saving the company, and they didn't really get, I don't think they gave it enough time, because they were changing quite a few things, and I think they had a lot of potential to, you know, anyway, I'm sad to see it go, I wish all, I wish them all the best, everybody involved, and uh, yeah, so, um, that's it, bye to the Linux Journal, it's been great, Having you around and all the great content um, that you've made, so. So this episode of this week in Linux is kind of like a roller coaster of emotions, because the first, uh, previously the first couple topics were very happy, very exciting topics, and the next topic was a pretty sad topic, and uh, then this one, this particular topic is a very annoying, and you know frustrating topic so it's a little bit of a roller coaster i just went <laughs> so <laughs> anyway let's get to the point uh KDE's, uh had a zero day exploit that was released on twitter now the twitter account that released it was calls himself a security researcher and also a white hat wizard so this is a pro- this is definitely an issue this is a vulnerability now there are some people who have uh, you know talked about how there's a vulnerability versus exploit argument here there isn't one because if you're not aware a vulnerability is when someone finds an issue and tells the developers to you know that it exists and to fix it an exploit is that when the vulnerability is found someone builds something to be able to exploit it and in this particular case the vulnerability was actually announced at the same time the exploit was so it's definitely an exploit so kde uh is this this affects kde 4 and 5. Uh, if you're not aware kde uh, plasma is the name of the desktop kde is the name of the community so kde plasma 4 and 5 is really technically the accurate thing but whatever um, so this what this happens is it makes it possible to do command injection inside of the dot the desktop files it also can be done in dot directories, um, and you can actually download an archive, and extract that archive, and it would, it would execute this these commands without uh, technically your manual interaction, because all you have to do is view the content, view the files rather than execute the files. And that's where the vulnerability comes from, and the uh, exploit is in the tweet that is actually on screen right now. So you could put that into a dot desktop file, and it would. Uh, do this command injection now the reason why I'm annoyed by this not necessarily because it's a vulnerability that was found of course if you find a vulnerability absolutely let them know that you did it's that he didn't let them know and that's why it's annoying so this particular case the the developer or the researcher of this um, this exploit didn't tell KDE that they found the vulnerability what they did was release it on Twitter, and then at that point, finally tell KDE. So I think that's a very irresponsible, unprofessional thing to do in terms of security. So a white hat person is someone who is a, you know, a hacker or a security researcher who finds problems and helps fix them. Now this is someone who technically helped fix it, but at the same time provided an exploit prior to it being fixed. And the issue, I think, uh, kind of boils down to why they did it, because it's very weird. So uh, on the Twitter uh, replies to this particular tweet about the announcement, someone asked, did you, did you inform the vendor, a.k.a. KDE, which they did not. Uh, and what is the reason that you de- you decided to disclose this as a zero-day exploit? If you're not aware, zero-day means the moment the vendor is aware of a vulnerability, That is day zero. So if you release something without the vendor having mitigated it on the day that they tell them, then you are creating a zero-day exploit. Now, the recommended structure of this is that sometimes the 0 days exploits are required to be released because, for example, you contact a company, you give them 90 days to fix it, and then they don't fix it. And then, or in some cases, even a year goes by, and they still haven't even bothered to try to fix it. So, in some cases, security researchers will release this information as a zero day, because, uh, in the sense that the there's no mitigation during the develop like once you release it. However, this is not what happened here. What happened here is that this develop this uh, researcher did not even tell KDE. And instead, they went on to Twitter and did a Twitter poll asking their followers, should they submit it to the bugs.kde.org or, and I quote here, drop it like it's hot. Now, the people who voted chose to drop it like it's hot, and therefore they did. Now, that is the one of the worst ways to decide whether or not to Be professional and let the developer or let the developers know that there's a vulnerability, or not. But that's what happened. So this is actually not a big deal overall. It's just irresponsible and unprofessional. That's why I was annoyed and I want to talk about it. Uh, So if you are a security researcher or if you're that individual security researcher, please don't do that again because that's not you know that's not cool. It's actually kind of messed up, especially considering you know random people on Twitter are the people who decided whether to do that or not. So he did technically say that he did tell KDE but he told them once he was already released on pub, on Twitter which doesn't really count because KDE didn't have any time to do anything about it and it actually only took them 24 hours, less than 24 hours to actually fix it so I think the reason is because had they told KDE that this was a problem it wouldn't have been a zero day and it wouldn't have gotten press people wouldn't have known who this person is. Maybe that's why? I don't know. I could be just overthinking it, more than likely am, but it is weird that I'm talking about a zero-day exploit that would have been fixed in less than a day had they known about it. So that means that they didn't know about it, and that's not cool. It's also worth noting that this particular Problem. This particular exploit is very, 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 very unlikely that you would be affected by it. It's not like this huge thing that people were promoting it on websites about how KDE is vulnerable. You need to switch or you know whatever, or not use Linux or whatever. There's a couple that were, were really hyperbolic about it, but um, the the really the reality is is that it's dot desktop files and dot directory files. How many people actually download those files? Very few now applications will create those when you install something but the odds that you're going to get a malicious dot desktop or dot directory file from your applications that you're installing is not very high and the odds that someone will just randomly download those files also not very high so it's not that big of an issue so it's pretty much overblown but at the same time it's it is an issue it did happen but it didn't need to get anywhere near as big as it did and none of those hyperbolic articles or whatever would have even happened had this uh, security researcher not done what they did. More than likely. I can't guarantee that, but more than likely. So, yeah. If you'd like to learn more about this particular uh, topic, I'll have a link to some the tweets and some other things, including the response from KDE, in the show notes below. So we're on another loop for that uh, that roller coaster of emotion, and that is LibreOffice 6.3 has been released, which is fantastic. 6.3 is mostly a uh, maintenance and bug fixes to release, but they've actually added a lot of cool features, including they've done some features for uh, improvement for performance of opening files, which is. Awesome because they have they say that based on their testing that up to 97% faster at opening files, which is really good. They also gave an option for redacting uh, different things inside of a, a document for hiding sensitive information. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's not necessarily that you know, import it doesn't seem like an important feature, but it totally could be if you wanted to share a document with someone, but you didn't want them to have some specific information, but you did want them to have the other content, you could just hide what you didn't want to show and they give you options to do that, which is really cool. They've also made better layout providing more space for working on your document, which is good because they made it better for like the margin era area and that's nice. They've made it where the page backgrounds now cover the entire page, not just up to the margins, which is really good because it makes it a lot easier to customize and make uh, templates for your stationery and that kind of thing, which is really cool. And they've also done some more uh, improvements to autocorrect, uh, spreadsheet tabs. They've improved the calculations and additional options for calculations. They've made better support for Microsoft uh, files, they even imp- like the compatibility with Microsoft Office files, like doc files and Excel files and that kind of thing. So it's really, really cool. And uh, if you'd like to learn more about this release, I'll have a link to it in, in the show notes for LibreOffice 6.3. Up next in the show is some more um, roller coaster stuff because this is good news. And also a little bit of like, I mean, not, it's not bad news. It's just good news that has a little bit of an asterisk associated to it and that is the AMD Ryzen 3000 series BIOS updates are now arriving so there's the other various companies are releasing the updates to make it uh, where if you didn't hear about this in a previous episode we talked about how the AMD Ryzen 3000 series was having issues of booting Linux but only in newer distros so for example if they were using Ubuntu 1804 they would be totally fine because amd tested on 1804 but they didn't seem to test on newer things so there were some uh, newer versions of systemd and that kind of created some issues in various different distros so if you were an arch user or if you even used ubuntu 1904 you wouldn't be able to use the new hardware which is really really weird because one of the big things about um, using amd is that the drivers are not available on some distros because they are connected to the Mesa drivers and the kernel drivers. And because of that, the newer distros usually have better support, except for this time. So it's really weird. But now they're releasing, they've, they've already released a patch and a fix from AMD but they're now getting they they're now rolling out from the motherboard manufacturers because unfortunately it has to become has to come from a firmware update from the motherboard manufacturers in order for you to get these fixes and be able to use new distros. So for example, ASUS has released updates for their boards that fixes these problems. Uh, MSI has released some updates but there's there's a little bit of a question whether or not it works now. Right, you know, there have been up there have been firmware updates, but we don't know exactly because some people are saying that it's working, some people are saying it's not. So I don't know. Uh, there's also other uh, there's other manufacturer manu- manufacturers that are not haven't done the firmware updates yet. So anyway, it's good that this is rolling out now, uh, but it's not fully rolling out. So a little bit of an asterisk right there. <laughs> Okay, this, I didn't do this on purpose, by the way. I didn't make this roller coaster thing on purpose. It just happened to be how I laid things out. And then I didn't realize it was going to be this uh, like this until, you know, now uh, during the recordings. But the next topic is a good, is a really good news that also has an asterisk to it. And that's NVIDIA releases the documentation for their GPU hardware on GitHub. Now, this is great because they've released it publicly, freely available, even with an MIT license on GitHub that helps uh, the Nuvo project be able to look at this documentation and make better support for the open source drivers. Now, this is fantastic, uh, but the asterisk is, is that it's still a work in progress and it doesn't support all the interfaces and it doesn't support all the hardware, but it's a start. And uh, it's really great because when they released it, this makes it possible so that the Nuvo project doesn't have to reverse engineer everything like they used to, or they technically still do now. But this makes it possible for them to uh, look at the documentation and make sure that the drivers are working as optimal as possible without having to worry about NDAs because previously there were documentation for the programming for the hardware that was available to some people, but it required you to, to sign a non-disclosure agreement so you couldn't actually do anything with it. But now, since this stuff is open source or open license anyway, it makes it much po- much more likely that the Nuvo drivers will be get, get better and better much faster, which is awesome. Now, there's another asterisk in that the current turing branch of nvidia hardware which is the rtx 2080 or 20 series 2080 2060 and the 2060 super or whatever uh that stuff is not included in this documentation because they're saying it's a work in progress and it takes time like okay i guess but maxwell pascal or pascal volta and kepler are all included in this release but not everything in them in those architectures or those branches are included so first of all what's included is the it covers the bios tables it covers the uh, device control block device initialization security around the falcon engine memory clocking and tweaking uh, shader program headers power states and uh, various other you know bits and bobs and stuff like that Uh, but not there's a lot of significant things that are not there but you know as they said it's a work in progress the thing that's makes me kind of like laugh about the the part of that they're saying it's a work in progress is because they announced that they were going to do this many years ago. They said that they, they, they say in their response to uh, certain questions about this saying it's a multi-year undertaking. It's taking time. Well, yeah, but you announced that you were going to do this in XDC 2013. So in 2013, Nvidia made one of the biggest surprises announcements that no one ever expected them to. They said they will begin publishing NDA-free GPU programming documentation, and six years later they started doing it. So yeah, it's been many years, but like, why is it taking so long still? It w- I would have assumed that there'd be some like red tape or bureaucratic nonsense on the, like making like get, getting in the way, but wouldn't you have to do that before you made the announcement in 2013 i don't know so anyway it's fantastic that nvidia is actually finally you know embracing the openness in at least some way they're probably never going to make their own open source drivers but who knows they might i never expected them to do this in the first place so i guess it's possible Uh, not likely but it's possible but anyway, great work to the NUVO drivers because those people are, make, are do, have been doing reverse engineering of the NVIDIA drivers without any documentation or when they do get documentations, it's like little sprinkles that are thrown at them. But most of the time when they get the documentation, it's stuff they already knew anyway, and it's just confirmation. So it's like not really helpful at all. So I'm, I'm happy that the NVIDIA company has decided to finally do something on the right side of the uh, you know the history kind of thing. But uh, we'll see what happens in the future. If they actually do release the Turing stuff, that'd be great. And if they don't, it would not be surprising because it's NVIDIA. Whatever reason they decided to do it, I'm really happy that they did. And hopefully they will uh, do even more in the future because that's you know that's great. So If you'd like to learn more about this, I have a link to the Pharonix article in the show notes below. So I just want to take a brief moment in the show to let you know about some stuff regarding the community that has been built around the Tux Digital channel, as well as the Destination Linux podcast. So if you're not aware, I'm actually not only a host of This Week in Linux, I'm also a host of the Destination Linux podcast, which you can find out more about that podcast by going to DestinationLinux.org. Now, I wanted to talk to you about the Telegram group and the Discord service. Well, there's actually all some other stuff. There's like an IRC chat room. There's a Steam group for both. There's a bunch of other stuff that you can check out by going to destinationlinux.org contact and tuxdigital.com contact. But I wanted to let mention the, the Telegram group uh, because there's a lot of great conversations that happen in both the Tux Digital group as well as the Destination Linux group. And it's a very friendly, uh, very friendly, very friendly group. And it's, really, it's a lot of fun. So if you want to check it out, you can go to tuxedo.com telegram and destinationlinux.org telegram. And if you would like to join the Discord servers, we have a lot of great conversations there as well, but also in a voice chat because there's voice servers associated to Discord servers. So you can jump in the voice channel. Uh, I'm typically in either Tux Digital or Destination Linux voice channels, you know, randomly throughout the day, uh, you know, throughout the week, etc. It's not, there's not really a specific time that I show up on those, as well as there's not a specific time that a lot of people show up. But I do periodically uh, show up quite a bit in those channels. So be sure to check that out. Uh, uh, DestinationLinux.org slash Discord and TuxDigital.com slash Discord. So I hope to see you there. And uh, yeah, just real quick, last, you know, Replug to uh, summarize, if you want to go to the uh, contact pages, dugsigil.com slash contact and destinationlinux.org slash contact, there will be links to everything in that. So there you go. Hope to see you there. So next in the show, we've actually uh, gotten through all of the rotor- roller coaster stuff. So this is all just a bunch of good stuff. And uh, yeah, let's get to it. So first of all, uh, Voyager Linux or Voyager Live 10 has been released. This is actually based on Debian Buster, so Debian 10, and that's why it's called Voyager 10. Now Voyager Linux is an interesting distribution from France. They've actually got a couple different types of of versions. So you have the Voyager 10, which is based on Debian. You have the Voyager 1904, that's based on Ubuntu. They also have an LTS version that's based on 1804 for Ubuntu. And seemingly the Voyager Debian one would also be based as an LTS. But I don't know for sure on that one because they, they there's some kind of a miscommunication thing where uh, the the developers who wrote the article about the release notes don't speak English as a native language, so it looks like a Google Translate thing, and I don't and it, some of it kind of doesn't make sense in the sense of like the context. So I don't I can't really give you a guarantee about what they what whether it's an LTS for the Debian version or not. But I think it is based on the kernel that they're using. Uh, but anyway. Uh, voyager linux is still an interesting distribution uh, it's not really meant to be like a beginners to debian they say that in their in their release notes and they also suggest people to set, you try it out on a separate machine if you have one or i suppose a virtual machine would also work uh, but they suggest a separate hardware machine um, but i think that it's still worth checking out if you are interested uh the, we, one of the things that's odd at this point it's not really odd it's just interesting to note that if you previously used Voyager in the past, or if you loaded 1804, you would get XFCE. But they've now transitioned to GNOME, and the reason they said for uh, for switching to GNOME was because that Debian didn't have XFCE support. But the Voyager 1904 is also using GNOME. I'm pretty sure because uh, I don't. I, I think that, I think, I don't think there is a Voyager 1904 version without the voyager 1904 ge part the ge is gnome edition or gnome edition i'm not sure if if they're switching away from xfce or not but the reason they gave for the debian version not having xfce was that the 4.14 was not released yet and now it has but also it's it's even if it did release before the release of voyager 10 it would still be like the debian froze uh, frozen branch was many many months ago So, it still wouldn't be there. But, um, you know, I'm just curious to see what happens in the future for Voyager because maybe the Voyager Ubuntu, like 19 or Voyager 1910 might go back to using the XFC approach because 4.14 being out. I'm not sure. It's still worth uh, checking out if you you want to. uh, You know, just a little bit. They do say it's not for beginners. So, if you do want to check it out, just, you know, keep that in mind. But I'll have a link to the latest release in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some interesting news from Canonical. So Canonical announced that Ubuntu 19.10 will get experimental keyword experimental ZFS root file system support and an install option when you set it up from the ISO. So they've actually had support for ZFS for quite a while from like uh, Ubuntu 15.10. But this is the first time they're going to have a file system support for the like the root file system and what's interesting is that they're also going to have it as an install option so when you boot your iso to install ubuntu uh, 19.10 you will actually get an option to choose zfs for the system they haven't said how they're going to do that yet or at least i haven't seen where they where they said that Uh, so maybe it's going to be a checkbox for like an advanced user or something like that but i doubt it's going to be very obvious because of its experimental status uh, but it's still very, very interesting, so I'm looking forward to see how they do that and how it worked out because ZFS is a really interesting file system, so I am definitely interested in checking that out. So Canonical's Didier Roche, uh, I think it's how you say his name, I wrote a blog post about it uh, on the official Ubuntu blog about the ZFS support intentions for Ubuntu 19.10 he uh, reaffirmed their belief going back years that they're acting within the rights also about the rights granted in the compliance with the cddl and gpl now there's that's one of the biggest uh, hurdles that a lot of distributions have talked about whether they should support zfs or not uh, because there's some there's some language in the cddl that kind of conflicts with the gpl in theory i mean not actually it's not like a direct conflict but it's, 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 the, the waters are muddied enough where a lot of distributions just chose not to support it and other distributions have said you know what we're, we're just going to support it whatever uh, and Ubuntu is one of those uh, so they're saying that they're acting within the rights granted and, and are in compliance with that with both of those so they're able to offer ZFS on Linux support within their kernel package as a built in kernel module uh, so this is going to be currently for Ubuntu 19.10 or EON Ermine I don't know. They are uh, going to be using ZFS on Linux, which is a separate project. It's a, a completely different project that's working on getting ZFS support on Linux. And they're going to be using 0.8.1 of that particular project inside of the 19.10 release. So I think this is pretty interesting. If you're a fan of ZFS, you might be interested in checking this out when this happens, because uh, I definitely will check it out because ZFS is a pretty cool file system. And, you know, if they've feel comfortable with the licensing thing you know i guess i don't know <laughs> i don't really know much about the comp- the problem with the two uh but th- it has been a little bit sketchy over the years so maybe it's a problem maybe it's not we'll see i guess if you'd like to learn more about this we'll have a- i'll have a link to the uh, ubuntu insights post about it in the show notes below up next in the show is a really interesting app called S C R C P Y or Screen Copy is what I think they're trying to go for. So Screen Copy, I'm gonna just say that from now on. Uh, they have the latest release is 1.10, uh, but we're not gonna talk about the specifics about that particular version. I just want to talk about the application itself because it's a very interesting application. So this app provides the ability to display and control. Android devices connected over USB and even Wi-Fi. Now, the Wi-Fi is a little bit more involved. You have to go into like settings of the IPs and stuff like that because it uses TCP IP for that, but it's still pretty cool and it's still possible to do if you would like to. But the USB is just, you know, plug and go. So that's really cool. It doesn't require root access or anything like that. It supports uh, using it over Linux, Mac, and Windows if for some reason you have those things. Um, but if you did, you know there you go, they have support there. So it's a really interesting um, app because it gives you the ability to use your phone on your desktop as if it is just directly with the phone. And it also they've, they've talked about how light it is. They say' it's, it's native and displays only the device screen. And it had they claim to have performance between 30 to 60 frames up to 60 frames, as well as quality of 1080p or above, depending on what kind of phone you have and what kind of hardware you have. They also say that it's very low latency, as at, at most it's 70 milliseconds, or at least you can get to 35 milliseconds, which is really good. Uh, they have low startup time, saying that about one second it takes to display the first image of the, of the device. And they're saying that it's non-intrusive because nothing is left installed on the device when you use it. So very, very interesting project. If you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link to their GitHub page in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some interesting news from Huawei. So we talked about their previous um, a previous topic about Huawei with their Hongmeng Hongmeng. I'm not sure how to say it OS, and uh, they've seemingly changed the name to Harmony OS. Uh, there's not been complete confirmation that that's what's happening, but it does seem like that. Uh, and we've talked about some mobile OSs in the past, like you know, of course Android, but also the derivatives like Lineage and E that are focusing more on the privacy aspect. And Huawei is a company from China that's having some, you know, they've, they've had some alleged integration with the Chinese government, so they had some weird PR issues, and they even had some, like, banning from, like, sanctions against them uh, from the U.S. government, which meant that some most companies in the U.S. couldn't – actually, pretty much every company in the U.S. couldn't do business with them, which was then recently lifted a little bit, sort of, but not completely – so it's, it's a really complicated topic and I'm not going to go into all the legal details about that because I'm not a lawyer and I don't really know that much about that particular issue. But uh, what I do know is that it's interesting that Huawei is doing this because they're, they were kind of forced in a position to have to. And they're doing it very quickly and they've made some decisions that I think are pretty interesting. So first of all, the most important piece about this, like if, if Huawei had announced this OS and not this next piece, I would have not cared at all. But they did announce that the Harmony OS will be open source. So, it will, And it also is going to support a variety of different devices. So the fact that it's open source is very important. Because you can pretty much guarantee that an operating system from Huawei will be audited very quickly, if not immediately. because And by a lot of different uh, groups. Because it's going to be utilized heavily. Because you know, Huawei is like the second most... Uh, the second largest um, uh, smartphone manufacturer or whatever uh, in the world so it's gonna be used a lot and they're also gonna be using it on routers and TVs and other kinds of things Uh, so it will most because it's open source it will most likely be audited very quickly they've actually already announced a TV like the next day after they announced Harmony OS they announced a TV that was gonna be using Harmony OS and the specs of that TV look really cool Uh, They also are going to include a camera in the TV, which I have no idea what that's for. But it's going to have like a pop-out camera like some of their phones do. But, you know, okay. Uh, Probably not the most useful thing or something I would want in my TV. Maybe people do. I'm going to go with no for me. But anyway, uh, what's another thing that's really interesting about this is that they are saying that the platform will support a range of applications, including... HTML5, which that's kind of a given, Uh, also Linux apps and Android apps. So I'm not really sure how they're gonna be doing that, but they're making a claim that it's gonna support all of those, which will be very interesting for Harmony OS because it's not based on Linux, but it will support Linux-based apps. Not sure how that's gonna happen, but very interesting to see what happens. I mean I don't really know exactly what their kernel is, what kernel they're using, but they they call it. They're saying that they're using a microkernel, which the Linux kernel is not a microkernel. So that's why I'm saying it's probably not based on Linux. But we don't know for sure because I, I haven't found any information about whether or not or what Linux, what kind of kernel they're using. I mean, so maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But uh, Huawei said that they do they do not plan to replace Android right away, but this is essentially their Plan B that bi- being built, and, and they're trying to do like just to make sure that. If they have to deal with another ban or some other kind of thing, that they will have something ready to go. But it does seem like they're going to be replacing Android. It just won't be, you know, super fast. You know, if if the the sanctions were still up, they would definitely do it quicker. Uh, But maybe because they're dropped a little, not completely dropped, but like a little bit relaxed, makes it easier for them to keep using Android might make it longer for them to do it. But anyway, it's still interesting, uh, especially considering Google has their uh, Fuchsia OS, which will be replacing uh, Linux as the kernel with their own kernel. So um, if Google does when Google does this and Android is kind of put in the back burner, it's kind of a necessity for other companies to have something or to go through go with Fuchsia. So it's definitely interesting to see what happens with Huawei because there's a lot of potential for some interesting things as well as some very negative things. We don't really know for sure, but I'm really happy that they did open source it because or they're going to open source it. I don't know if they have or not, but I am uh, very interested in what happens with the audited stuff uh, because you can pretty much guarantee they're going to do someone's going to do that. Uh, but anyway, they say Android isn't as e- as efficient due to its redundant codes, outdating scheduling mechanism, and general fragmentation issues, and that's why they're going to do it. They So I am definitely interested in what happens. Uh, if I hope you are too, just let me know in the comments below if I should continue to cover uh, stuff like this because technically it's not Linux-related, but they're claiming it has Linux app support, so sort of, maybe a little bit, kind of is, uh, whatever if you are interested and want me to continue to uh, follow this topic let me know in the comments below and if you'd like to to check out this current topic i'll have a link to it in the show notes and finally this week we have a new humble bundle and now this is the coding and app development bundle by packet so there's quite a few things in here there's a lot of books So, I'm not going to list everything, but you can check out if you'd like in the show notes, in the description. I'll have a link to this. And there's so if you want to learn web development with Vue.js, Django, WordPress, Angular, jQuery, Node.js, and Laravel, Laravel, I don't know. Uh, Or if you want to learn about React and React Native, or if you want to learn Android 9 development. And even some books about the Cute uh, 5 for, uh, toolkit, which is the best toolkit. Yeah, check it out if you're interested in developing Cute for sure, the best one. Uh, anyway, there's also quite a few other ones like some .NET stuff and, you know, some more. But there's quite a few uh, good books about some good languages, not like .NET, uh, but, and also some good toolkits like Cute. And uh, if you'd like to learn more or you'd like to check out the uh, Humble Bundle, for the coding and app development bundle, I'll have a link to it in the show notes and in the description. Now, just to be clear, this is an affiliate link. So if you do want to purchase it, a small percentage or like a commission will be going to the Tux Digital channel as well as the, you know, this this weekend Linux podcast. So if you do decide that you'd like to check it out, uh, please use the link in the description because that would help me out and I would very much appreciate it. So link in the description uh, for the humble bundle coding and app development bundle by Packet. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you'd like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Or if you're in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Interaccess, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to TuxDigital.com affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tennell with Tux Digital, And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.